Greetings through Christ. Our Lord used various elements of nature as illustrations in the things that he taught. This morning I want to focus on one. The title of the sermon this morning is Lessons from the Birds. What got me started thinking about this topic was a passage that I was reading one morning from Luke 12. In that chapter, Jesus twice made reference to birds. And he calls us to learn a lesson from both of them. And I'd like to read that now, Luke 12, 6 through 7. These I'll be reading from the New King James, Luke 12, 6 and 7. <coughs> Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And reading again from verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are unable to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. As I read those verses and thought about them, later in the morning I told my wife, I said, look, we don't need to worry. God has us. They're for us. Too often we read these verses and you say, oh, you know, we don't need to worry. And five minutes later, we're back at it. You don't need to worry. Sparrows are fairly un- and a fairly unimportant part of God's creation. What does a few more, a few less matter anyway? 
I looked it up. How many sparrows are there? <laughs> well, it's a little hard to come up with an answer. Somebody, somebody has estimated, that's about as close as we can get, that among the house sparrows alone, there's probably 1.6 billion house sparrows, English sparrows. So if, if five of them get caught and sold and slaughtered, you know, okay, now there's only, um, you know, 1 billion 500 and, no, uh, yeah, 599,000 995 left. But God watches over the insignificant things of his creation. Sparrows, they're not worth much. They're, they're not all that pretty. Not like a parrot or a peacock or an indigo bunting. Sparrows are just kind of plain, but they do their job and they don't seem to be bothered that they're not brilliant. And God goes on to, or Jesus goes on to say here that, you know what? Just as God is concerned and keeps track of something as insignificant as a sparrow, he keeps track of the hairs of your head. Not something I really have thought about much lately, for myself anyway. And how much more, I think his point was, how much more will he be concerned about the more significant issues of our lives. Jesus said, you, you, every one of you and me individually, you are more important than the sparrows. Some people just by the nature of their personality just have this hangdog, idea of themselves, you know, well, poor me, you know. So you are more important than these little insignificant birdlings. You are more important than the sparrows. And he also, now this isn't necessarily my topic, but in this same context, he also draws this illustration from the lilies, the flowers, and I am impressed by both the birds and the flowers, especially this time of the year. How beautiful they are, and yet they come out of this ugly bulb or insignificant seed, and they grow up and just display these beautiful color combinations and the intricacies, the symmetry of, of how a flower, we have some amaryllis that are blooming and they just bloom for a long time, and they're so pretty. Some folks have given us flowers, just appreciate it so much. And just these, they're, they're, each, each species is different. You can instantly identify them if you know your flowers and birds by 
their differences and their colors and their shapes, and yet they are just lovely. I enjoy birds. I know that many of you all do too. <clears throat> and in the past week, we've uh, seen a number of unique, almost exotic birds. It just I still marvel every time I see them at the bird feeder. But there's some. We've had some painted bunnings. Just looks like something from South America, the Amazon, or somewhere. But just beautiful, beautiful. And uh, we've also seen the purple finch, that's a bit unique, a blue grosbeak. This is the first I've ever seen that that I know of. Uh, the rose-breasted grosbeak, have seen those before. The red-headed woodpecker isn't all that uncommon, and yet they are such, so striking in their colors. Bold, bright, distinct coloration of red and white and black. <coughs> And, you know, there's the, the, some of the more ordinary, common birds, but are still very striking. You know, the cardinal, we see them all the time. And yet, if we would only see them a few times, we would just be amazed at the coloration of a cardinal or a blue jay. And there's, you know, of course, there's the house bears and the morning doves and the barn swallows and... Each one of them has something unique about them. But some of these, we're so used to seeing them that we don't really pay much attention. A little bit like what somebody said about the stars. If the stars only came out once in a thousand years, it would be the most talked about event of the ages. And yet they're there every night. And, you know, I do notice them. Uh, you know, often somehow I, uh, I know where to find Orion anyway, maybe the dippers and uh, a few things like that. I don't know much about them, but there they are. The steadfastness and faithfulness of God's creation reflects the faithfulness and steadfastness of our God and his creativity in how he made all these birds speaks something about who he is. <clears throat> the Bible seems to classify the fauna of, fauna of the earth by the environment that they inhabit. Listen to this verse from Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I never thought about it before until I was thinking about this subject. God speaks of the, fit of the birds that inhabit the air, the fish in the sea, the land animals. But man is unique. He is the one who has the intelligence to to uh, rule over the, the creation, <clears throat> to manage it. Much of the ecological movement of today is, is uh, based on the idea that man is just another animal. And so, therefore, yeah, they, they would teach 
the preservation of creation, but not from the standpoint in which God created it and made man a manager, but that man's just another animal, and so, uh, you know, he daren't take advantage of any other animals. And so then you get the vegetarian movement and, uh, you know, the idea that uh, we've got to make sure all these species flourish and a lot of other ideas, and it often involves a rejection of God himself. Well, man should not abuse and destroy nature, but it is, the creation is there for the use of man. <coughs> the whole universe is for God's enjoyment. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. And so the whole of the universe, whether it's the stars or the ants or bumblebees or a painted bunning, God created them because he enjoys things of beauty. And we enjoy it as well. But it should make us think about his greatness. Birds are a spectacular part of that creation. The Bible talks about fowls some 86 times. Often uses the term the fowls of the air, that element of nature. You know, there's the fish of the sea and there's the land animals, but there's the fowls of the air. And Jesus particularly pointed them out in, in the illustration that he wanted to present. <clears throat> the fowls of the air. We don't talk about man of the air. Man has long wished to be able to travel in the air the way the birds do. I can imagine that, uh, let's see, that, that Seth and Abel and Cain, maybe, you know, as they were learning to walk, they were watching the birds and they maybe went a little bit like this to see if they could do it, but sorry, it just, it just doesn't work. The Greek, in Greek mythology, there's the, the tale of the Daedalus and Icarus, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but how that they were imprisoned and they were able to escape by collecting bird feathers and gluing them on their arms and being able to fly out that way. Uh, but unfortunately, Icarus didn't make it. But um, anyway, it's, it was just a fable, a tale. But man has been able to, uh, to conquer since then in more recent years to be able to fly under his own power. <clears throat> there was, I remember it, in 1979, there was a, they put together a group of men put together a, a machine that they called the the gossamer albatross, something that looked pretty much like an airplane, but it only weighed 70 pounds and had a man inside it, and he was pedaling something like a bicycle. Only instead of a wheel, it had a propeller, and he flew across the English Channel. 22 and a half miles, it took him two hours and 45 minutes, 49 minutes. That would be about eight miles an hour, but he made it. 
and there have been other similar vehicles. However, he, it was all he could do, and the conditions had to be just right. He just about lost it, about gave up, but uh, he, he finally made it. But even though man has done some things like that, yet we can never, we can never fly as effortlessly and efficiently and neatly as a bird. The eagles and the buzzards, they just soar a lot of times, not flapping their wings at all. The, uh, the swallows, they dart around like a jet fighter. And the hummingbirds, they zoom and they hover. And um, there's, let's see, there was another one here I was going to point out, I think, yeah. The, the, the pileated woodpeckers, they just swoop along, swoop, swoop, swoop. Uh, just so interesting, all the differences in, in how they operate. But God made them that way. And God didn't make us to fly. We can conquer the air with a lot of effort. And because we have um, carbon energy to utilize, but never do so well and so easily as the birds. God made the birds to fly and he made people to walk. Birds don't do too well, a lot of birds. Some, some birds spend most of their time on their feet, but uh, in general, birds, when they want to go somewhere, they flap their wings, they don't walk. Uh, you know, the hummingbird can barely walk. His legs are so fragile it's all, you know, he, just, he, he, he can hold himself up. He can, he can uh, stand on his feet, but that's about it. Bird feathers are just a marvel of engineering, such a simple thing. They just grow out of them, and yet they're so, well, scientists talk about the miracle of the feathers. And I'll just mention two things. One is that they, they're, uh, the down has such an insulating quality. Said man has never been able to equal the efficiency of the down feathers that birds have. The little, little kinglet, man was writing about it, it was 17 below, he was outside, and he, he crawled into his down field sleeping bag, and, and he was warm, but he said the, uh, these little birds, they're half the size of a chickadee, a kinglet, and he said, but their down is so efficient that the temperature of their little body can be 140 degrees warmer than the air outside it. And yet it's just a, this little feathers that grow out of them. Um, man is, this fellow made the statement that man has never been able to equal the insulative quality that those down feathers have. Uh, another thing about feathers is, you know, what, what are used for flight, that they have tremendous strength for their weight. Probably, again, unequaled. 
is how stiff and sturdy those feathers are that can support the, um, the, the force that's put on them to be able to fly. And yet they're so light. How do birds know how to do the things that they do? There may be a few things that they learn from other birds, but by and large, it's just instinct. And I don't know that man has ever really been able to figure out how instinct works. But they just do it. They just do it. They just know it. Nest building is something that's hardwired into that little bird brain. And each species has their own unique type of nest. There are the, uh, those who build hanging nests, like the weaver bird has a roof and everything. The orchard oil is one that we have around here. We've had them nest in our, the tree in our front yard a number of years and they build a hanging nest. How do they know how to do it? I guess they all were born in one, but they weren't there when mama made it. I said born, they were hatched in one, excuse me. There's the, um, you know, those little hanging nests. There's the 10 foot nest of a bald eagle. And the, uh, the one that the mockingbird builds that just barely holds together. You don't, I wonder if some of them don't collapse before the season's over. I don't know. There's the little hummingbird nest, just a little cup. Uh, there's the circle of pebbles on the ground that the killdeer makes and uses for its nest. And the mud nest of the barn swallow. And there's the emperor penguin who doesn't have a nest at all, but the female lays the egg and turns it over to the male and he tucks it in under this special belly flap that he has and keep it warm during the long four month Arctic winter that he holds that egg on his feet with underneath that flap and keeps it warm when it's 40, 50 below zero, and the winds are blowing 90 mile an hour. There he stands. Instinct. Instinct. How does it work anyway? You read up on some of these things, and these scientists, they talk about, well, you know, they probably evolved this somehow because they needed it. Hmm, yeah, that's a good answer, isn't it? Does that satisfy your intellectual curiosity? Migration is another incredible demonstration of instinct. Many of the species that we know are hatched here in North America and migrate to the tropics during the winter, just as their ancestors have always done, all on their own, and they find their way back. The, uh, the bar-tailed godwit, never heard of it before until I started looking, but it seems to hold the record for distance and endurance. They, they're, they're hatched in Alaska, 
and they fly to Australia and New Zealand. 7,500 miles of trackless ocean. Never been there, but they head out. Eight or nine days flying. Instinct. God-given instinct. Somehow God put that in their little bird brain. I wonder if man will ever figure it out. Uh, just as an aside, I also ran across the, here's a, another concept that for some species, the, this, these migrations aren't accomplished in one individual. There's, there's a, uh, a butterfly, that, a painted lady butterfly, I think it was, and that's it's hatched, it starts off in Africa. And it goes, it flies up across Europe and it goes up close to the Arctic Circle. But it takes about six generations to do that. How does each generation know where to pick up where the other one stopped? Instinct. In a brain about the size of a pinhead. I just say, how great thou art. How great thou art. Now let's consider what the bird, what, what we can learn from the birds. And for my first point, it's what the birds say about God. Well, all these things that I've been talking about, doesn't it say something about the greatness and the power and the wisdom of God? That he can just... Speak something into existence with that kind of power, instinct. They just do it. And it's passed, it's obviously genetic. It's passed on from generation to generation. It's obvious that God is a creative Genius, just to figure out some of those things. They, they have come up, well, you know, some of these, they navigate somewhat by the sun and the stars, perhaps. They've kind of done some experiments to kind of show some of those things. Well, that's a marvel in itself, that a bird, uh, okay, there's that star and that one over there, so, you know, I need to head down through here. And yet there, the degree of flight has to be pretty accurate. But then, how to instill that in a bird brain genetically? How do you explain the incomprehensible? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And I would also say that the birds of the heavens display and declare the glory of God. Of God. Job 12, 7 through 10 says this, but now ask the beasts and they will teach you, and the birds of the air and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord hath done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. 
greatness and the power and the wisdom of our God. Now let's back up and let's say again, you don't need to worry. If God did all that, what will he do for you? God is a creative genius. Secondly, God supplies our needs just as he supplies the needs of the birds. It doesn't mean he provides everybody with a $50 million house or 50 pairs of shoes or gourmet dining every day. But he does say, I'll be with you and I'll take care of you. The Bible says... Having food and clothing, let us be there with content. God usually has provided more than that. But those are the things God provides for the birds and the flowers. That's what he promises us. Are we content with that? Or if perhaps occasionally we might have a little less than that. You know, the Apostle Paul spoke about the things that he suffered uh, listen to this verse from uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, in weary, just talk about the things that he suffered in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, there were times when he didn't even have food and clothing. And yet he said, I have found, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. And so just because God is, has promised that he will supply our needs doesn't mean it's going to be everything that we ever wished for or could imagine. But we need to find it enough. Our Lord, he spoke of his deprivation. You know, there was one who came and said, I'm going to follow you. And he, Jesus said, well... Um, this is what it might mean. He said, I don't even have a place that I can call my own to lay my head. And yet, both of these people accepted these deprivations with goodwill as a, willingly, a willing sacrifice. They made a willing sacrifice to fulfill God's will in their lives. You know, the birds still sing when they suffer. The birds still sing, and we should too. God, thirdly, the God gives us the skills and abilities we need just as he does for the birds. God does not give us all the instincts that he gives to the birds and the butterflies. But he gives us something better, and that's intelligence. The ability to think and analyze and see how this leads to this and, and what the possibilities are, you know, this tree here. Well, what can we do with that stick of wood? Uh, you know, maybe... We can, you know, this rain's coming down. Maybe we can do something about it. And so man has discovered many things. And uh, 
you know, we have intelligence that the animal world has no comprehension of. That is a gift from God. Something that God gave us. Not something that we evolved for ourselves. That is a gift from God. He gives us the ability to develop our instincts as we face challenges. The man that I used to call my boss, when we had a particular difficult, challenging job, he'd say, just, just think of all the things that you're learning in this. And uh, he was absolutely right. Every challenging thing, you learn something and you add to your repertoire of knowledge. Sometimes our response might be, well, you know, I've never done that. I, I, just, I just can't. Remind me of a poem by Edgar A. Guest that uh, the title is, It Couldn't Be Done. Somebody said that it couldn't be done, but he with a chuckle replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be one that wouldn't say so till he tried. <clears throat> So he buckled right in with a trace of a grin on his face. If he worried, he hid it. He started to thing, sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. And there's two more stanzas that I won't take the time to read, but God gives us the ability to think and reason and understand and learn and to store up that knowledge and to apply it in other situations, especially to understand God himself, which we'll never fully do, but God has revealed himself in ways that we can understand and that we can trust. Birds, I think, are a little bit like the man in the poem that with a bit of a grin and a lift of the chin and a song, they do it. And may we follow their example. If somebody else has done it, why can't we? I had to think of a man called Nick Voicish, if that's pronouncing it right. He was he was born without any arms, and on the bottom of his torso were just some flipper-like feet that he could get around just a bit, and that was all. And he was so discouraged with life that as a teenager, he, he seriously contemplated suicide. And yet, he learned to trust God and um, he has a family, and he lives, in his own words, a ridiculously good life. <laughs> if you ever feel discouraged, look him up. At one point, he lived on his own. He, I remember him talking about fixing breakfast. Now... For him to fix breakfast, fry up some eggs, well, while you take the egg in your mouth, 
and you break it open there and toss it into the pan and fry it up with a spatula between your teeth and, uh, you know, a few shells, what does that matter anyway, and the egg. Did you ever stop and thank God for two arms and two legs? <laughs> Be worthwhile. God gives us what we need. God, fourthly, God expects us to work. You know, in this one passage from Luke 12, Jesus talked about the ravens. He said, hey, they don't sow, and they don't reap, and they don't gather into barns, but God feeds them. Now, some people have looked at that and said, oh, well, Jesus is saying that, hey, they don't, so we shouldn't either. That is not Jesus' point. Jesus is saying God provides for them in spite of their lack of being able to do those things, and he will supply your needs through your sowing and reaping and gathering into barns. He expects us to work and apply ourselves. I think of the children of Israel, you know, God provided them man in the wilderness. How else could they have ever survived? <clears throat> a million and a half people, 40 years. So, every morning, it wasn't the ground. Pick it up, eat it. But you know what? When they got across the Jordan River and there were other means of swaying, the manna stopped. The manna was a miraculous thing that God sent. But God said, okay, now you need to sow and reap and gather into barns. Now, obviously, that first year, while they, they did uh, do a little bit like the birds, they, they raided the people who they were conquering, and they got food from, from what was stored up then. But... God gave them land and seed and the ability to take care of these things. And he gives us opportunities and he expects us to work. Yeah, he said, you'll have to fight weeds and briars and insects and diseases, but you can do it. You see, when God originally created Adam and Eve... It was pretty much like the birds. They just go out to the fruit trees, you know, gather. I think their diet was largely fruit. I'm sure there was a lot of different kinds. But they could just go out and gather. Whenever they're hungry, you know, get something, pick it off a tree here. But that changed with sin. And as I was thinking through that, I, you know, this is just some of my own speculations I guess but you know we tend to think of man having to work sweat of his brow and so forth as being punishment for the sin that they had chosen and perhaps I'm, I'm sure that that's true but you know what I think there's also this element that with man having an evil nature God said, you know what, these, these characters need something to occupy themselves with. Or they're going to be in each other's hair and, and doing all kinds of, of wickedness against each other. And, you know, we better give them a job. So, there you go. Sow and reap and gather. 
keep at it. And I'm sure that that has, has saved people a lot of heartache and headache through the, uh, the centuries and the generations that have passed just because we're, we're occupied with something. People that, you know, don't have to work for a living, that, that's a major factor in their degradation. So we can be thankful for that. But God supplies what we need. We don't have to worry. An important part, though, of the gathering, of the, uh, the reaping and sowing and gathering, <clears throat> was that people weren't just to gather all this up for themselves. Jesus showed the, the foolishness of that in that story about the rich man, you know, the parable that, that he told. You know, he said, ah, oh, look at all that I have. I'm just going to make bigger barns, build bigger barns. And... Uh, you know, just then I'm going to have everything I need. She said, you got it wrong. And for the Israelites, he told them, he said, look, you're to share with the needy. He said, if you miss something in that first time of harvest, don't go back and, you know, get that corner over there that somebody missed or the sheaves that got left by accident. You just, you just leave it, invite people in to... To, uh, to share with your bounty, people who perhaps are in unusual circumstances. You share. That's something that birds don't do so well at. I often have shaken my head. We have a, a hummingbird feeder on the front porch, and, you know, uh, the <laughs> I see some of you nodding. You know where I'm going. Uh, you know, be a hummingbird there eating, and another one comes and says, you know, and he runs him off and goes, you know, back to eating. And, but worse than that is when they're sat, sated, when they've had the food that they want, they'll sit in the branch out there about six feet away. And it's not that they want it, they're full, but another bird comes around, and they'll chase them off. Now, that is a quality of the birds that we should not imitate. They're not all positive. We can still learn something. This is about lessons from the birds. Learn to share. I would say in that, those hummingbirds represent and illustrate our fallen nature. You know, that's preserved, that concept is preserved in the New Testament, a verse that we have in Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Share. Share. God expects us to work, and he expects us to share, and he expects us in everything to seek God's kingdom. That was a part of this passage about the birds Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and God will give you these things. You don't need to worry that if you share that you might lack, that you might go hungry then. God blesses 
those who share. Another area where birds leave us a good example is in caring for their offspring, for us caring for our children. During the dependent phase of their offspring's life, birds dedicate themselves to their care. And, you know, there may be exceptions, but by and large, it's both parents. They're constantly out gathering up bugs or whatever, and they feed their little ones. They feed them. They're just in there all the time. And, and the, these birds, just a couple weeks, they're going from this little naked, ugly little thing to something big that can fly. And they take care of them. They, they try to chase off things that are dangerous to them. We've had snakes get in some of the bird nests around the parents just pitch a fit. Maybe they could do more, but you know, you often see, you know, a group of birds, you know, swirling around, and when you watch, oh yeah, there's a big one out front, and there's his little ones. And especially this time of the year, as birds have their young to be concerned about, they're chasing off those crows and the hawks and the owls. We need to guard our children. We need to care for them, not just physically. Yes, physical food is critical, important, but feed them with the things that will help them to grow spiritually and their concept of God and their um, ideas of what God desires for them. That's even more important. Give them an understanding of what God considers right and wrong in a way that they can understand it and in a way that they can accept it. Some children reject what their parents teach them because they, like the Pharisees in our Sunday school lesson, they don't live it out. Be an example for your children. It's relatively easy for us today to put food on the table and maybe to, to get our children to, to be respectable. But are you teaching your children to love God? Care for your children in ways that really matter. Don't worry but trust. A refusal to trust God is actually a slap in his face. To doubt God is to say, I see no reason to believe what he has said, nor to trust his character. Really? We can see how God has given so many things to the birds, and he says, you are more important than a birdling. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I also had to think of what David said. In spite of the deprivations of life that he experienced, for seven years, he was out in the fields and the forest struggling to escape the vengeance of the king. 
And yet he said this, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Lessons from the birds. One, God is a creative genius. Secondly, God supplies our needs. Thirdly, God gives us the skills and abilities we need. Fourthly, God expects us to work. God expects us to care for our children. Do not worry, but trust. And in it all, may we be as cheerful as the birds. Thank you for your good attention. Let's stand for a benediction.